0: I've also been blessed with the opportunity of of leading you guys through scripture this morning. So we serve an amazing God, amen? Amen. We have so much to be thankful for. As you've been going throughout this past week, I hope you've taken time to remember and to thank God for all the awesome things that he's done for us. Because if your story is anything like mine, you were a sinner who was separated from a holy God, truly deserving of eternal damnation, eternal punishment because of the wicked things that that I had done, that you had done. And yet our God, instead of giving us what we deserved, in His mercy and His grace, He moved in your soul. He brought the gospel to you. He opened up your eyes to see the truth so that now you've been washed clean. You've been forgiven of all your transgressions, all the wicked evil things you had done that would have forever kept you from him. He's forgiven and given you this reconciliation that you now have in Christ. And now you have an inheritance in his kingdom. You're called a son, a daughter. Behold the wonders of the mercies of our God. Oh, he has given us much to be thankful for. What a treasure we have in Christ. Hope you guys are remembering him. Hope you guys are thanking him over this past week. What we've been looking at as we've been going through the book of Philippians is that this is God's letter to his people. Contextually, it's written through uh, by the Holy Spirit through the Apostle Paul as he's writing to the church in the Roman colony of Philippi, uh, close to where modern-day Macedonia is at. This letter was written around 61 to 62 AD. And as Ryan was preaching through the word last week, we talked about how we as believers need to pursue unity together. Um, We're we're a family, we're the body of Christ, okay, so we need to be one, and we need to pursue right relationship with each other. Today, we're continuing our series through chapter 4 as we take a look at verses 4 through 7, and we look at the joy, reason, and peace that we have in Jesus, and this passage is so rich. I'm not going to be able to preach well enough to do it justice, but I want you to hear the Word of God. This is so powerful and so needed for every person in this room. So let me pray and ask God to lead us this morning, and then we'll dive into the passage. Jesus, you are such an awesome God. Lord, what we're about to unpack here, we need, I need. Lord, my brothers and sisters here, we all need this. Lord, would you help us to have a spiritual perception of the reality behind what your word is teaching? Would you help us to see how much we need this? And God, through your Holy Spirit, would you grant us the strength and the initiative to pursue these things until they become a normal part of our lives? Oh God, I know that in doing these things, Lord, we'll be abiding in you, we'll be strengthened in you, and Lord, I want that for everyone in this room. So, Holy Spirit, please teach us. Please grant me the words to say. If I say anything that is not from you, may it fall on deaf ears. And God, would you magnify your name um, through the preaching of your word. And it's in that great name we pray. Amen. All right. I want to invite you guys to stand for the reading of Scripture. Standing is a way that we recognize that this is the word of God. This is not the work of men. It is powerful. I'll also have the words on screen. If. We keep a good connection. Here we go. Philippians chapter 4, verses 4 through 7. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say, rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. All right, this is the word of the Lord. You may grab a seat. The main point I want us to see as we go through the message this morning is this. Joy, reasonableness, and peace in the Lord should characterize the believer's life. Joy, reasonableness, and peace in the Lord should characterize the believer's life. And so the question I want you to ask yourself as we go through the message this morning is, do these characterize my life? If I were to ask people what they think about me, would they say that I am a person who is filled with joy, who is reasonable, and and who is a person of peace? Because in the Lord, all these things are offered to us. Now what we have before us this morning is a feast, okay? Hopefully you guys have enjoyed a nice feast this past week with Thanksgiving break, right? celebrating time with family and remembering what God has done for us. But what we have here in Philippians chapters 4 through 7 is a feast unlike anything you had this past week. What God is offering us in Jesus Christ is joy, true and lasting joy, true and lasting peace I mean, these are things that our world is desperate for, and they are freely offered to us in Christ. And here in this passage, God is giving us the keys to this, and it's all bound up in Him. And so I don't want you guys to leave this morning and miss out on what God has for you. These truths are powerful. They are meant to be applied, and if you do, they will bless your socks off. I need this. You need this. We all need this. So... That being said, let's dive in to this feast and see these awesome truths that God has for us. Point number one, joy in the Lord should characterize the believer's life. Joy in the Lord should characterize the believer's life. This is taken from verse four, rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Now, I'm sure you're all dying to know what the Greek word for rejoice is, so I'm going to give it to you. It's chairo. Everyone say chairo. That's right, you got to say it like you're getting ready to spit. It means to be glad, to take joy or delight in something. It's the same Greek word that's used in Matthew 2.10 when talking about the wise men. It says, when they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. The same word in Matthew 5.12, rejoice and be glad for great is your reward in heaven. And it's the same word that's used in Luke 1.12, where when the angel Gabriel is speaking to Zachariah, he says, and you will have joy and gladness, and many will rejoice at his birth. Okay, rejoicing, this hyrule, this is what happens when you, high school student, receive that video game that you pre-ordered and you've been waiting months for it to come. And it finally shows up on your doorstep and you open it up and look at it. What happens in your soul in that moment and what comes out of your mouth is rejoicing. If you are someone who you've been looking to get this job opportunity for months, you've been applying, you've been applying, you're going through interviews, you've been waiting, and then you finally get the phone call saying you got the job, what happens is rejoicing. You are pumped. You finally got this opportunity that you were looking for. And rejoicing is what happened. On November 2nd, 2013, when you saw this. Yeah, baby, and there was much rejoicing. I love Bo Pelini's face on that, by the way, he seems, he seems confused, what is going on, right? That's rejoicing, that's what rejoicing looks like. When you, get that, when you get that Hail Mary touchdown pass that ends up winning the game against Northwestern, what happens is your soul rejoices. This is a delightful thing. Brothers and sisters, in Philippians chapter 4, verse four, God is commanding us to rejoice. But not to rejoice in just anything, but to rejoice in Him. And I want you to hear this this morning. There is joy in the Lord. Amen? There is a joy that can only be found in Christ. God is the source of all joy. We read in Scripture that in His presence there is fullness of joy. And any earthly joy you experience is only a fleeting secondary joy compared to the joy that is found in knowing Him and having fellowship with Him. Oh, we have such joy to be found in Christ. Now, here in this passage, we are called to rejoice in the Lord. Now, if God says something once, we need to listen. He's the Lord. If He says something twice, we need to write it down and we need to apply it. If he says something three times, we need to get on our knees, we need to repent, and we need to beg God to help us to live this out. Twice in this passage, we see the Lord calling us to rejoice in him. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. It's stated twice. And if you guys remember back to chapter 3, verse 1, we read these words. Finally, my brothers, rejoice in the Lord. Three times in the book of Philippians, God is calling us to rejoice in Him, to delight in Him. And in fact, you can trace this theme of joy all throughout the book of Philippians, that while Paul is in chains, right, he recognizes that the gospel is not chained and that it's going forth powerfully, and because of that, he's rejoicing in spite of his circumstances. But what does that mean for us to rejoice in the Lord? How am I supposed to rejoice in the Lord? And I want to give a recommendation for application. To rejoice in the Lord, what's helpful for me is to meditate on who He is and what He's done and then to praise Him for it, okay? Who is our God? What is He like? Our God is a holy, awesome God. He is a maximally great being, meaning He is great in every capacity, in power, in wisdom, in goodness, in love, in humility, in justice, in righteousness. In every, in every capacity, He is perfect. He is a holy God that we as sinful human beings cannot march into His presence. When God came down on Mount Sinai, He said, Make sure that you do not rush up the mountain to look at the Lord, lest any of you should die. He is a holy God. We can't just come into His presence all cavalier. He is a holy, holy God. Awesome God. And that great God, who of all beings should be praised, came to earth. This is that's who he was. This is what he's done. He came to earth as a man. He who of all beings should be served, should be worshiped, did not come to be served but to serve, and he gave his life as a ransom for many. He was born in a barn. Surely he carried Our afflictions, He came and He touched lepers and He healed them. He healed the blind, the sick. He preached the gospel to us. And He ultimately gave His life for His people. So as we look to Him in saving faith, He would take our iniquity upon Himself and He would give us His righteousness so we could be restored in our fellowship to God. What an awesome God we serve. We have so much to worship Him for. We have so much to praise Him for. And the way we rejoice in the Lord is we meditate on who He is and what He has done, and then we praise Him for those things. In doing so, our soul is engaging and rejoicing. And how often are we to engage in this rejoicing? What frequency should this have in our lives? Rejoice in the Lord. I want you to say it out loud. Always. Always. This is meant to be a pattern of behavior that characterizes our lives. This should be a norm for the believer. This is something that we continually engage in as we delight in our Lord. And so I want you to ask yourself, is this one of your ADLs? Is this one of your activities of daily living? Okay, we all have these. These are things we do normally to take care of our body, okay? We get up, we take a shower in the morning. Hopefully you guys shower, right? We brush our teeth Right, We comb our hair, we put on fresh clothes. These are all things that we do to care for our body. But rejoicing is a way that we're able to tend to our soul and and align ourselves rightly with God as we recognize who He is. Right, There's a joy that fills our soul as we delight in who He is and what He's done for us. I want you to hear me this morning. God is not calling you to rejoice in Him because Austin Womble doesn't have enough work to do. And so I'm going to give him one more thing. Rejoice in me today. No, sir. Nuh-uh. That's not why God is giving this to you. God is doing this for your joy, for your delight, so that joy becomes a hallmark of your life because you're continually seeing who he is and what he's done, and your soul is taking delight in that. Brothers and sisters, we need this. I need this. And the more I've been meditating on that this week, and the more I've been applying it to my life, I'm telling you, it has filled my heart with joy. I tend to be a pretty serious guy, a kind of intense guy, in case you haven't figured that out, right? And it is so good and pleasing to train our souls to delight in Him. Make this a pattern in your life, and you will be blessing it. Again, the question you need to be asking yourself is, does this characterize me? If other people were to describe Seth Remmer, would they describe him as being joyful and rejoicing in the Lord? And if the answer with you for that is no, this is something for you to apply. It is so good. God is offering you joy in Christ. So point number one, the joy in the Lord should characterize the believer's life. Point number two, reasonableness in the Lord should characterize the believer's life. This is taken from verse 5. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Now, this reasonableness is a Greek word pronounced epiakes. Everyone say epiakes. epiakes. There we go. Good job, Russell. This is often translated gentle. According to the Thayer's Greek lexicon, it is what is reasonable, suitable, equitable, or fair. In Titus chapter 3, verse 2, this reasonableness is contrasted with quarreling. In 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 18, it is contrasted with an unjust master, okay? And so, yes, it is that which is not quarreling, that which is able to be reasoned with, that which is suitable and fitting for the occasion. Believers of all people should be the most reasonable people on the earth. And I think this is the case for a number of reasons. First off, The gospel itself is very humbling, right? If I recognize that I'm a a wicked sinner who has sinned against a holy God and I deserve eternal condemnation, and yet I was not given that, but rather through Christ, I was shown mercy, like that's very humbling. I don't have a lot of room to boast or be proud, which in result makes me a pretty reason, will make it easier for me to reason with other people. Second off, the knowledge of God is exceptionally humbling the more I recognize what a high and holy God he is, how perfect he is in power and wisdom, the more I recognize myself by comparison, like I'm not that big. And like my wisdom, like my, my knowledge is pretty limited and my strength is pretty limited. And the more I come to know him, the more I'm humbled at the realization of who he is. But I think a third reason why believers should be very humble and thus very reasonable is expressed in this very passage and that the Lord is at hand. Now, there are two possible interpretations for, for what the Holy Spirit is going for when he says the Lord is at hand. Most commentators would say that this is for sure speaking to the Lord's return. The Lord's return is at hand. And because he's coming back soon, right? what sort of people ought we to be? How do we want Christ to find us? Do we want Christ to find me being a stubborn mule who can't get along with people or agree? Or someone who's being reasonable? Someone who can talk? Someone who's listening? That's one interpretation, right? That the Lord's coming is at hand. The second is that there's a spatial awareness of the Lord here. And that is that the Lord is present. The Lord is at hand. And if you're a believer and you've received the Holy Spirit, right? It's true. He's very present. He lives inside of you. Your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit. And there is also an awareness of the fact that God is omnipresent. His presence is everywhere. Like he's in this room right now. And so if you have an awareness of God being around, you're gonna want to be a reasonable person, right? If someone you really admire, you know, is here in the room, like you're gonna wanna put your best foot forward because you care about, about what they think, about how you're behaving. And so this, again, an awareness of God's presence causes us to be reasonable people. And what we see here is that reasonableness should be a prevailing feature in our lives so much that it should be known to everyone. And so I want you to ask yourself that question. Am I known to everyone as being a reasonable person? Let me make it a little more convicting. Husbands, would your wives say that you're a reasonable person? Wives, would your husbands say that you are a reasonable person? person and students were my students would your siblings say that you are a reasonable person that you that they can hear you that they can talk to you about stuff that you will listen because this is a quality that through the holy spirit should characterize our lives because of the spirit he's given us and because we recognize that the lord is at hand and so if you're recognizing you're lacking this go to god He will train you. He will teach you. He will fill you with His Spirit and teach you what it looks like to be reasonable and to be gentle, even as Christ Himself is reasonable and gentle. All right, third and final point I want us to look at tonight. Peace in the Lord should characterize the believer's life. Peace in the Lord should characterize the believer's life. We see this in verses 6 through 7. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything... By prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God, and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. What a treasure we have in two verses. Peace is something we could all use, amen? If you are anything like me, it seems that every day brings a fresh wave of anxieties and, threat and stressors, threatening to topple the little bit of peace I may have been able to find. This is a big deal. Every day, we're confronted with stressful situations. Perhaps you've got a million tasks that you need to tackle, and you only have two days to get it all done. Perhaps you've got a place that you got to be, right? Whether it be work, whether it be an interview, and that's the day that your car decides to break down. Perhaps you have work that you need to get done, and your computer or the internet decides to stop working. For some of you, you have a boss that doesn't like you. That's not the case for me. For some of you, (laughs) for some of you, you guys have classmates that try and mess with you, right, as you're at class. Or maybe you're trying to do so many different things that you feel like free time is virtually non-existent. These things often result in anxiety. And anxiety over time results in heart trouble It results in increased blood pressure. It can result in stomach pain, nausea, fatigue, depression, digestive trouble, insomnia, and the list goes on and on. Anxiety is not good for your body, and it is certainly not good for your soul. So in a world where the opportunities to be anxious are innumerable, how does God's Word call us to respond to anxiety? I want you guys to read this highlighted section with me, okay? Do not be anxious about anything. I want you to look at your neighbor and I want you to say, do not be anxious about anything. Go for it. Okay. This is something when we when we try and tackle anxiety, we have to, our first resolve that we have is to not be anxious about anything. Now, for a lot of us, you're, you, you're probably thinking, you got to be kidding me. Is this even possible? Is it even possible to learn to not be anxious about anything? For some of us, it would be easier to free climb up the side of the Empire State Building than to go a day without being anxious. But interestingly enough, man, this is a call that we receive repeatedly in Scripture to cast off anxiety. I want you guys to turn with me to Matthew chapter 6. We're going to read verses 25 through 34. This is Jesus speaking to the crowd. Sermon on the Mount. Therefore, I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? We see the same truth reiterated in 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 7, to cast your anxiety on Christ because he cares for you. In both of these passages, God is calling us to leave our anxiety behind, right? To, to cast them upon him and put our trust in him. Anxiety is often a state of mind where you and I are troubled about the ominous circumstances before us. And make no mistake, oftentimes they are ominous, okay? And what, and what we recognize often in those times is that our resources are very limited in addressing this need before us. But our God is not subject to these limitations, amen? These circumstances are not beyond His sovereign control. Our God can take care of it, and He wants us to bring our requests before Him. I want you to see how He puts it in verse 6 and 7. Do not be anxious about anything, but in Everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. In this passage, God is actually calling us to come and to bring our anxieties to Him through prayer, which is talking to Him, and supplication, which is making a request of Him. And He reiterates it by saying, Let your requests be made known to God. God is actually calling us to make requests of Him. Now, if you guys are like me, a lot of times you read this and you're like, you know, I feel like God's a really busy God. Like, he's got a lot on his to-do list. Like, I don't want to come and annoy him with my petty little problems. But the truth is, like, God desires this from you. God wants you to come and to bring your anxieties. He commands you to come and to bring your anxieties and your worries to him. How gracious and merciful is our God look at this brother and sister hear this when you are stressed out and anxious God wants you to come to him and to bring your anxieties to him and he receives it he's like all right I'll take that I, I like, like I care about you I'm going to take care of this and instead he takes our anxieties and he gives us his peace that's the exchange he makes he comes, he takes our worries, he takes our anxieties, he takes the weight of that, and he gives us his peace to guard our hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Have you begun to comprehend the magnitude of the great heart of God? The incredible compassion that he desires to know what is ailing us, he knows he wants us to make that known to him so he can bear it, and so then he can give us his peace. He is such a, a merciful and gracious and compassionate God beyond what we have begun to understand. And yet this is what He desires for His people, for His children, that we would be free of anxiety as we bring it to Him. And how are we to do so? With thanksgiving. We're to do so with thankful hearts. When I think about this, I'm reminded of when I was a senior in high school, okay? Way back in the Stone Age, 2006. Right? I was uh, growing up in uh, Gothenburg, and I remember my senior year, I was pretty anxious about where I was going to college. I, there were a number of colleges I looked at. I wasn't sure uh, you know, like which one you know, I was going to be able to get accepted into, but the one I really wanted to go to was College of the Ozarks. The only problem with College of the Ozarks is that they have like a 10% acceptance rate, okay? so my odds aren't too great. And beyond that, they prefer to take kids that are primarily from their local southern Missouri area to come to the school. They just have more of a regional preference. I'm clear up in central Nebraska, so this isn't doing me any favors. And I remember it was about February 2006. We're just a few months out from graduating high school, and I was anxious about this. I was stressed. What am I doing with my life? Parents keep asking me, so what are you doing? And I'm like, I hope I'm going to college. <laughs> you know, but the only one I wanted to go to is CVO. And so I ended up praying. I remember walking down my home street, Avenue G, praying, Lord, would you please bless me with the opportunity to go to College of the Ozarks? This is, this is the one that, like, I, that I, des- I really desire to go to. Lord, would you please grant me this request? And I remember as I was walking down this street... I'm just, I've grown up in this town, it's like, I'm remembering all, a lot of the past prayers I've prayed, even while I'm walking down the street, this is kind of like my prayer street a little bit, and I'm reminded of how often God had answered my prayers, how relationship I was in when I was in high school was in a really dark place, and I asked God to help me through it, and to help, and to give me wisdom and how to navigate it, and he did, he came through. I was reminded about how my God was faithful to continually teach me and mold me when I was navigating having bullies in high school. And he he showed me how to address those circumstances and and answered very specific prayers with that. And the more I began to thank him for how he'd already been faithful, the more faith it built up in me because I've recognized this isn't the first request I've I've given to God and he has been faithful every step along the way. Thanksgiving often serves as a great reminder of the goodness of God. And if He's heard our prayers in the past, and if He's answered them in the past, and He has, and He cares for us, then I can have confidence that He hears me now, and that He is going to always choose what is best for me. And that was a very, very encouraging thought to me as I was praying this. May our prayers always be salted with thanksgiving, It helps us to orient our hearts aright to trust the Lord as we navigate this. And then the result of all of that is verse 7. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Brother and sister, do you see what freedom is offered to you in Christ? Do you see what peace is? our God is extending to you. This is the kind of peace that hundreds of millions, if not billions of dollars, the world is going to pay for in 2023 trying to get. They are starving for peace. They fight and kill and do everything they can to try and find this thing. Peace, inner peace, peace of the soul. And yet they can't find it. This is a kind of peace that your Lord offers you every single day. If you will but come to him and lay your anxieties at his feet and ask him to carry your burden, he will, and he will give you a peace that surpasses all understanding. This is a peace that is so divine, it doesn't even make any earthly sense. It's like Jesus, who when he was sleeping in the middle of the storm, right, On the Sea of Galilee, his his disciples are all freaking out. They they end up waking up and they're like, Lord, don't you care that we're all about to drown? Jesus stands up. He rebukes the wind and the waves showing his power and it becomes completely silent. Behold the power of our God. And then he asks them this question. Why are you so afraid? Do you still have no faith? Any logical Fleshly human being in that circumstance would be freaked out of their mind. They are about to die, but not our Lord Jesus Christ. He had such, he is God, and he has, because he's the Prince of Peace, he has such an understanding of God's sovereignty that he's completely at peace. And he asks his disciples, Why are you so afraid? Do you still have no faith? Don't you think God is able to take care of you in these circumstances? This peace from God is a peace that transcends our circumstances. So that Paul, as he's writing to the church in Philippi, he's filled with joy while he's in chains, imprisoned, being prosecuted by Jews for the proclamation of the gospel. Yet he is peace and joy. Again, it doesn't make sense. It is a peace that surpasses all understanding. And it is a peace that is freely offered to you every day in Christ Jesus. This is what our Lord is offering you, a peace that is not grounded in your circumstances, but in your inseparable union with the Lord Jesus Christ. So how insane must you and I be to pass up that kind of peace so that we can continue to hold on to our anxiety? Why is it so hard for us to relinquish these concerns over to the Lord? Do we trust that God is going to do what's best for us Do we believe in the love that he has for us? And family, I want you to hear this. Whenever you're struggling, does God really care about me? I want you to look to the cross. Because God's love was not poured out for you in merely human words. It was spilled out for you in his own blood. Jesus loves you, big time. You can bring your requests to him. He will bear them and he will always do what is best for you. And he is fully sovereign to accomplish everything that he desires in your life. Let us be a people who train ourselves so that the moment we start to feel anxiety creeping in into our hearts, it is our knee-jerk reaction to go to the Lord and to make our requests known to Him, because this peace is yours in Jesus Christ. Don't let the devil steal your peace. Go to your merciful high priest and let him carry your burden. It's like the old hymn goes. Oh, what peace we often forfeit. Oh, what needless pain we bear. All because we do not carry everything to God in prayer. As we do so, His peace will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. This is God's gracious and loving will for your life. So please, brother, sister, apply this to your life and live. In conclusion, joy, reasonableness, and peace in the Lord should characterize the believer's life. Does it characterize yours? What the Lord has set before you today is a feast. A feast of true and lasting joy, reason, and peace. And all of it is bound up in Christ. So come to the table. Train your soul to rejoice in the Lord continually. Learn to present your requests before him. And in so doing, you will taste of his goodness and find the delights that your soul so desperately longs for. Do this, and you will thrive. Let me close this out in prayer. God, you are such a great God. Your mercy is astounding, Your grace is astounding. And God, you give us these commandments for our good. You want us to be filled with your joy. You want us to have your peace. God, would you help break through our thick skulls? Would you help us to see our need for this? And through your Holy Spirit, would you grant us the desire and the drive to see these implemented into our lives? How attractive this would be Lord, to to an onlooking world, to find a body where people have such joy and such peace and such reasonableness because of you. Oh, God, you desire these very things for us. Would we commit ourselves to being obedient to you and seeking them out diligently in our lives? We can't do this on our own strength. We need your help. But God, we know you're gracious and merciful and you'll give us everything we need to pursue this. So, Lord, we ask you for it. Thank you for your word. It's in your awesome name we pray. Amen. Alright, I want to encourage you guys to stand for the benediction that we have this evening. Benediction is taken from Ephesians chapter 3, verses 14 through 19. For this reason I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches of His glory, He may grant you to be strengthened with power through His Spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith and that you being rooted and grounded in love may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and the length and the height and the depth and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Brothers and sisters, go in God's peace.